Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Mile 30 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast, presented by Run In. We're excited to be back with you this week. We had to interrupt regularly scheduled programming for a special edition because there's been some fun events in distance running over the past couple weeks that we wanted to spend some time with. So next week, we will have our interview with J.D. Shaw. We are incredibly excited for him to share his inspiring story of life and running. But before we do that, we're going to get into London, super-fast marathons, super-fast ultra-marathons in the United States, and more. Benji, welcome in. Thanks for having me. How are we feeling? Man, inspired. What a crazy two weeks it's been. It has, for sure. Let's start in London about a week and a half ago now. Elliot Kipchoge wins again, 2.02.37 for a course record that is his 10th straight marathon major victory. Before we even get into the race, let's pause there and appreciate that. That's 10 straight plus the Olympics, Mm -hmm. right? Just getting to the line healthy for 10 in a row at that level is an incredible feat. His consistency is unparalleled. This one maybe didn't play out the way I expected. Got the early wake-up call, enjoyed the race with some friends of the show, and we kept noting they're running really fast. Kipchoge's letting some people hang around, which we haven't seen a lot from him, right? Not recently, no. My thought is Gaia Dola at Berlin two years ago on the rainy day when he moved and Kipchoge had to respond. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's normally him making the move. Right. That move came late. It was a pack of three guys nipping at his heels until mile 25. He had the moment of waving guys up to get them to kind of try to do some work. I'm not sure if... Maybe there was contact, you know, they were literally on his heels, but he was doing all the work, and I do not blame the other guys in the pack one bit for not doing any of the work. Why would you? Yeah, I was actually reading about that hand motion, and Kipchoge said he was encouraging the guys Mm. because he knew they were running fast, and he believes, like, the next big movement in running is that you're going to have people racing like cyclists do in groups with like their set pacers and a person who's supposed to lead through X path and all that. And uh, so maybe he was kind of introducing this idea to the two who had tagged along with him. So the thought of we get better because we're able to push one another through and work in certain places, trade that work to someone else. Yeah, it's that adage where you're holding one stick and if you try to break it, it's super easy. But if you have a bundle of sticks, you can't break one of them. Yeah. With that said, if we don't go into a race with that perspective for the entire group, I get why the other guys would be looking at him and saying, you're the fastest in the world. How about you go ahead and do the work? We lost the pacer, so it's up to you now. That mile 25, he split a 426. I believe at the 40-kilometer split, that K, he was on 420-mile pace for a K. And they came out of an aid station, and he absolutely blasted off. 
One of the big storylines beforehand was the anticipated duel with Mo Farah, which really never materialized. That fizzled out early. Mo lost contact at about halfway and never really looked particularly comfortable. He was still running a very fast time well into the second half of the race, but ultimately faded off his European record in the late miles, ran a 205.39 for fifth, and the last few miles were certainly a grind. Perhaps some of the pre-race antics played into that. He downplayed it, but there were the press conferences and the there was a run-in at a hotel beforehand in which he had an encounter that was probably sensationalized to some degree. There was him trying to stay on the world record pace treadmill at the expo, and he flew off. Which, right. If I'm his coach or manager, I'm losing my mind. He downplayed all of it and just said he wasn't good enough on that day and has to get better. Now, we've seen him go head-to-head with who we call the world's best marathoner a few times. And while Mo was on the track, he was pretty much the undisputed king of the track. Do you think that Mo made the right move? I think he did in that sometimes you have to accept a new challenge. You have to take a risk. He left himself vulnerable to losing, which he hadn't really been for a long time. But you don't know until you expose yourself to that. And it happened at a point in his career in which he probably wasn't going to maintain that dominance on the track. Maybe we flip this question and ask it a different way. What if he had made this jump earlier? He's not a young buck anymore. What if he had made this move earlier and we could have seen him more in his prime on the road versus Kipchoge? This is the hope of some people in marathoning that we see guys make that jump earlier when they're able to be at their highest level. And that doesn't mean you have to be straight out of college, right? Because you as a marathoner, as a distance runner, you can develop later. But for Mo, it was certainly not at his peak when he made that move. And you're bringing up the tr- making the transition younger. A lot of these East Africans get into the sport to make money, sure. obviously. With the Diamond League cutting the 5000 and 10000 from their schedule, do you think we're going to see the depth of marathoning increase at the top end more of these 205 and under guys i love this question because we haven't gotten into the discussion here about what the diamond league is doing because we've had so many other topics but the diamond league for those of you who are unfamiliar is the premier track circuit just started their season at doha last weekend that's where all the elites are going to run now through the summer into the early fall Their long-term plan is to eliminate many of the distance opportunities. I can understand this from a television viewing perspective, from a fiscal perspective of why they would cut them, because a lot of people don't who are casual fans don't enjoy watching 5,000 meters on a track in particular. Guys just spinning around the oval time and again, and they're breaking away for commercials, and we would rather watch... A sprint event, the 100, the 400, they're exciting. I get it. Maybe for another time we should discuss what they should put in place of those mm-hmm. events because I have ideas. And I'll just say one of them is bring back the freaking mile. Right. I think the opportunity here, we have to shift our paradigm and say, it's not the Diamond League killing distance running. I don't think that happens. Maybe it hurts it on the track. But it may, as you said, present other opportunities for road racing and for guys to push records 
maybe not Kipchoge-type records right away, but <laughs> national records, continental records, more so because they get into it younger, as you said, because it can change your life, particularly for the East Africans who sacrifice everything to get into the sport, and there's a big purse on the line. So we'll see. I think it would be fun if some of those guys transition earlier, and what does that do for the quality of marathoning, which certainly is at a really high level right now, because guess what? We had two guys run the second and third fastest times ever at London. Mosinet Garamu in 2.02.55, the third fastest time ever. He's only the third guy to ever break 2.03, and he benefits from essentially getting dragged along by Kipchoge and putting himself in position. We mentioned beforehand also look out for Callum Hawkins. He did become the third fastest Brit ever. 208.14 and a top 10 finish for him. And he looked very strong and I think solidified the Moe and Hawkins Olympic team members from Great Britain. They are clearly a cut above and obviously Moe's in his own level there on his own tier. Afterwards, Kipchoge declared his desire to run all the majors. This is what I've been asking for on this show for a year now. Yes, it is. I am so fulfilled by this declaration, this is great news for New York City and Boston. I don't know when you'll see him there, if it actually happens. I think it will. I don't care if it's five years from now. And to that, will we see him race all the majors, or will we see him run all the majors? Okay, so this was my first thought when he made this announcement. I just I don't see him as a like farewell tour guy. Right. You know, he's... He doesn't need it, and I don't think he cares for the celebrity status. My thought was Meb, Boston, year after the bombing. He was not a young man. No. And he went there and won. I think he's going to compete to win, and I think even at, say, 40 years old, if he shows up, he's going to be in the competition. It will be fun to see what a course that is totally different in its layout like Boston or New York, or it's just a more difficult place to time trial. How does he respond to that? I think he'll be just fine. We'll get a taste of it in Tokyo next year at the Olympics and see what he does there in some heat on a course that's maybe not designed to be blazing fast. He also followed that up in recent days by announcing his intention to join a second attempt at breaking two hours. We're going to get into that one a little bit more in a minute. That's exciting. But the latest breaking news is Sir Mo and Galen Rupp are confirmed for a square off in Chicago in October. Ooh, I didn't know that. Just yeah, just this morning read that. Seconds flat with the latest hottest news coming at you. I would say that's an exclusive, but I actually read it in a newspaper, so they clearly scooped us on it. Wow, you read newspapers. I do. Uh, They still exist. Wow, didn't know that. I think it was the online version. (laughs) So, I guess that means Rupp's feeling like he's going to be healthy enough to roll. Last I saw was like 60 miles of pool work equivalent per week and 60 miles of running that he's doing. Yeah, it might be a good time to give a shout out uh, to the YouTube series we created about him. If you go on YouTube, look up Rebuilding Rupp. I forget the name of the guys putting it out. It's like Elevation Film or something. They did some other stuff for the Nike team. Yes. Right? Yeah. And basically, it's going to be a three or four part series. 
in which they're doing like a 10 to 15 minute video chronicling Galen's return after surgery. Just watched the first video myself and man, it's pretty cool. For sure. Really neat stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like in the fall. And to go back to to London on the men's side and kind of wrap on that race, obviously blazing fast, incredible performances. I think that maybe I felt a little bit let down in some way by the way it played out and Kipchoge maybe did. I never felt like he attacked the record. But that's also just not who he is, and it wasn't the goal. And he handled it to get a victory, and that's the ultimate goal. And he ran a really, really fast time. Why am I so selfish? It was a course record. Do you think he could have broken the world record at uh, London? Right. That's. What, I guess that's why I'm. I'm disappointed because every time he lines up, I want to see if he can. <laughs> I know that it's unrealistic that he's going to, but I have. I have become so spoiled by him that I want him to lay out there this effort where he is crawling through the finish line because he is exposing himself to saying I'm going for 159.59 and if I don't get it I'm going to lay in the road on the way in because I put myself out there Hmm. we'll kind of get to see that yeah all right breaking two part two so breaking two was the Nike project about two years ago in Monza, Italy, on a race car test track. The target for this is a mid-October race, and the preferred venue is to go back to London. They want center city of London. I'm sure logistics are going to be crazy on that. If you remember at Monza, they had it blocked aside. They didn't say a day. They had a window of a weekend, right? And they were playing off the weather conditions to determine what would be best. They're going to use that lap circuit kind of maybe two, three mile loop idea paced format just like they did the first time. According to the Telegraph, that's a newspaper that I read. There you go. I thought it was an old device used to send messages. Hashtag Samuel Morse. The goal here is to add crowd support because Kipchoge felt like We were out on our own so much of it. We didn't have crowd support. And just think about that in your own racing experience, right? All of us have been in that spot where we get a little fire in the belly when the crowd's there. It can be a bit much, though, too. You have to control it. I'm sure if anybody can, it's him. I will admit that halfway through a marathon, I've felt pretty good, and the crowd's roaring. Maybe I can push this just a little bit more, and you might make a mistake. Absolutely. They also feel like they've really perfected the carb consumption rates, they used the Morton product before, the, the drink mix. Now you have the gels as well from them that they can work with. And they think a key thing is going to be a day with a lower dew point. That was a, like a 50-degree day in Monza. For me, I would consider that warmer than optimal. I think for someone who trains in East Africa, it probably feels a little better than it does to me. You're right. With that said, dew points were a little higher than they thought they would be. It was just a fairly humid day. And if you could dial that in and maybe you cut yourself a little bit of the humidity and 5 or 10 degrees, maybe there's a few seconds to be shaved there. But isn't London always raining? There's, there's truth to that because it is like constantly this, our perception of it at least, is this it's damp really climate. Yeah. But oh, here we go into meteorology. Oh, you've, you've led me down a road. Shout you know I love to... this. Tyler McCandless, here yes, we go, buddy. Always. This is for you. 
there is a, a differentiation between the temperature of the dew point and it being a damp climate. The dew point could be lower there just given temperatures. I'm trying to simplify. This is bad. I know we're going to have a listener who loves the sciences who is going to criticize this. me, my simplification here. It could be just as damp there as the day was at Monza, but with a lower dew point because the temperature consistently in London is lower and moreover what the morning climate is like there because they're going to run this thing really early in the morning i think at monza didn't they start at like 5 a.m mm -hmm. so you know as humidity levels ebb and flow throughout the day that plays a role as well i hope that made some level of sense i'm digesting by the end of the show it will be received fully. okay yeah okay let's just address a few things one what do you think of them doing another breaking two are you in it to win it? Are you excited or do you care? I'm excited. Yeah? Yeah, I think he will do it this time. Oh, I... you have gone on record, I believe, at approximately the 18-minute mark of mile 30 and said he's breaking two. He's breaking two. Love that. If any human is to break two, it's going to be Kipchoge and it's going to be in London this fall. So... Uh, maybe I should add a caveat. You mean if any currently living human, any human like any human ever, we will just, never improve? He was created. He was not born in a test tube. Daniel Day-Lewis. He was chiseled from, from granite for this role. Yes, from yeah. marble. Yeah, marble. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe we could counter that. I might consider that a slightly nearsighted analysis of the world of running, but... The fact that he could do it, I think, is agreeable. Now, you also added in, in London, there's a chance they can't even pull this thing off in London because you're shutting down a major city. It could potentially be somewhere else, but... So is Nike the lead sponsor for this second attempt? Because the other one was Nike Breaking 2 Project. I haven't seen Nike in front of right. anything in regards so to So what I've read is there is a British multi-billionaire who is at the source of the financing this time. Okay. And I'm sure Nike's all in on this right. because he's their guy. And there's been some level of controversy that people could protest this event because of the man behind it and his no, right, his his so political beliefs London, and yeah. But I think protest. Well, I what I think they're more concerned about with London as a site is we've got millions of people here. How do we shut down for multiple days? Because what if it is a rainy day, right. right? Or what if it is really hot? We have to have some backup plans. I suspect there are probably other places in the world that would love to be a backup plan, that would probably want to be involved in this and might have a similar climate that they could be a suitable site. Greenville, South Carolina. I wouldn't mind if... Well, I don't. I it's think a little humid here. We might be a little humid and a little hilly. I was going to say go to Asheville because it's a little less oh, humid, but then it's just hillier. Yeah, we're we're probably a terrible site for this. I'd say he shows up. When I first heard that there was going to be a breaking two, my immediate response: I Pick, can Pickens Motor Speedway. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have to push back the Christmas light show there, which I love <laughs> because we're doing it there. No, my immediate response: I can show you the text message I sent was. Does this mean the Sphinx Marathon has ponied up for the Pacers? <laughs> Shout out to Ed Hughes. Maybe 
Good Work Greenville Track Club. Maybe like Kiowa in December uh, is a more suitable. I don't know why we're even going down this road. Yes. As you previously mentioned, there are talks of a possible riot during that. Well, I didn't mention a riot. I just what? said or that, like protesting. that some people are potentially upset about the sponsors behind it and where their money comes from and how it's used and that they might not want the event there or that they might protest if the event does occur there. So I guess my concern would be is if these protests became like a riot. If they did, that could possibly endanger everyone there, but also Kipchoge makes me think back, what year Olympics was that where the uh, Brazilian athlete was shoved down? Yeah, so potentially we expose a lot of people to a dangerous situation. Right. Now, we're extrapolating way down the road. I don't know how serious they are about the course that they've laid out. I don't know how serious we are about people who are opposed to it. And I'm I'm sure security... Like all of us who have run a major city marathon of experience, security has been incredibly heightened, particularly since Boston 2013. But yeah, there's that side story to it, I guess, because you didn't have to worry about that at Monza. We already know how much work they've done in securing all the races that we see him in now. But I guess you could say that that could happen anywhere at any time, right? And I hope it's not a reason to, to not do the event if they believe he can break two. All I'm saying... Nike. Seconds Flat has developed a new program, Seconds Flat Security. (laughs) Give us a ring. We'll fly across the pond. Give you some grade A bodyguards. I do think I'm available that weekend if you need me. All right. Who should run with him in this? We had multiple runners last time, right? We had three guys. You got anybody on your list? Jeremio. Yeah. Okay. He's he's a sub two all time. He's a sub two or three guy. Okay. Anybody else you'd like to see out there? It would be cool if they could get Mo in on it. Yeah. I don't think he could do Which it. Which is not going to happen because of Chicago now, right. we know. Ah, that's true. Do you even need anyone to run with him? Can it just be his show if he's got the Pacers coming in and out? That's a good point. Right? And are we using the other guys more in training? Is that where their value lies? I suspect the first time around, Nike probably wasn't quite as certain that Kipchoge was the guy to do it. At this point, they have to be, based on what he's done over the past two years. We knew he was the most likely, but I don't know that it was quite so preordained as it is now. As you said, he is the only human who has a shot at it right now. I tend to agree with that. All right, then, if we're going to make this thing work, who should be out there pacing him? Could we get a better crew of pacers? I mean, they did a heck of a job. They had top-level guys. They had everybody they could No, don't pull. even say everybody. There's just, there's only one guy there who mattered to you. Lopez Lamont. No, not Lopez Chris Derrick. Chris, Chris Derrick. Derrick. Yeah. yeah, Lopez Lamont was there. Chris Derrick was there. What if you forked over a crap load of money and got somebody like Jeffrey Camwar? Oh, wow. To go 10 miles, a half marathon with him. What if you rolled this into a secondary attempt on the half marathon world record. Somebody jumped in at the half mark of this and went from 13.1 to close with the target of a 58 minute half marathon. Holy crap. On that note, I'm gonna tell you who I get to pace this race. Okay. Your guy, close personal friend, I'll almost call him confidant of yours after your prediction before London that quickly went awry. Mm. Abraham Kiptum. 
once upon a time half marathon world record holder that's probably in jeopardy given that he got popped for a biological passport violation before london and didn't even get to run the assumption being that there was performance enhancing drugs at some point you'd have to think he might not be looking at major marathons anytime soon I guess because this wouldn't count as a world record, they could essentially get an arsenal of guys doped to the gills. Yes, that's kind of the the avenue I was going down here. The clear drawback of that is it adds skepticism to the legitimacy of Kipchoge doing it, and is he clean if he does? Feels like a Team Sky move. Yeah, it kind of does. Good cycling reference there. I would think that he wouldn't want the negativity that comes around that in doing it. But I, you know... To, to backtrack a bit, what if you got somebody who's a sub-60 half marathoner who's really in great shape and put them in for half of that race and you might have a different set of pacers with them at times for a few K or a lap, depending on how they set this up, and, and it creates this target ahead of Kipchoge? I don't know if he considers that valuable or not, uh, if he'd rather be locked into the exact pace or if that competitive spirit could push him. But it would certainly add to the fun, the marketing, yeah. what we get to see on TV. We're breaking two. We're breaking 58. Good. Some guys jumping in at the 20-mile mark for the last 10K, hammering a 26. Like To that point, do you know what pace a 58 half marathon would be to run 58 flat? It would be fast. 425 a mile. Well, he ran mile 25, I just told you. He just ran mile 25 at London at 425. This is true. He can roll right in there. Yeah, it's that's quick. I'm not denying that, but no, this is a this is a moonshot kind of program, right? That's that's the whole idea. This yeah. is something that people thought was unattainable. I, I am admittedly not quite as excited as you are about this. Gosh, I probably wasn't as excited the first time either, to be honest. I love the thought of breaking two hours. I think the way he's going about it is admirable. And I think we have to distill it down to what it is. It's a human trying to run under two hours. It's not a race. It's not a true marathon in that format that we know. It's just a test of the limits of the human spirit. Gosh, and it's so beautiful the way Kipchoge views it. Yeah. All his interviews, he's just... Me breaking two is not about Kipchoge breaking two. It's about that human potential is limitless. Yeah. And he just believes in humanity Yeah, so much, and he wants everyone to believe in themselves the way he does. It makes me think of Roger Bannister. We're recently at the anniversary of his, mm-hmm. this past week of him breaking four minutes in the mile. There was controversy in that era for using pacers even in yeah. racing. But along the lines of what you said— Bannister, I'll paraphrase because I don't know the exact quote, said, there's no law saying you must not run faster than this or jump higher than that. The the human will is indomitable, and we are so limited by ourselves. And I think it is inspiration for humanity if Kipchoge breaks too. The reason I say I'm not quite as excited as you are is... We get such a short window to see him race. I wish he could just keep winning races. Yes. And if he's going to do it, I wish he would do it at Berlin, let's say, in the fall. And obviously, you don't know if you get the right climatological setup there. But I'd love to see him break another world record and break two in a real certified race. Agreed. Because I, unlike you, 
think ultimately someone is going to break two hours someday, even if it's not him. I don't think it'll be in my lifetime. You're a young man. Eh. I might say not in my lifetime. Some might say I'm (laughs) middle-aged. So we're booking that, too? You think if it's not Kipchoge, no one in your lifetime? Yeah. Okay, I'll go the opposite direction. I say in our lifetimes we see it. Cool. All right. Let's get back to London for a minute because we didn't talk about the women. So in London for the women... 218.20 for the win as Bridget Koske blasted the second half to break away from the star-studded field there. American Emily Sisson, who we were excited about in the last episode to see how the Sisson-Molly Huddle duel would play out. Emily Sisson negative splitted her way to sixth place, 223.08 in the debut. Second fastest U.S. debut ever. So just a few seconds off Jordan Hesse's American debut record. Molly Huddle set a slight PR while, in her words, really struggling to a 12th place finish. Do I have to rethink my U.S. pecking order after this? I asserted last time here that both of these women were immediately going to jump into the top three of American women pre-2020 Olympic Games. I'll say that Emily Sisson did just that. I think Jordan Hesse at Boston has reasserted herself. However, Molly Huddle may not be a lock, let's say. With the depth of that field, there's a lot of other names right there. Kellen Taylor, I have to apologize. I was under the assumption Kellen Taylor was not running a big spring marathon, and I misspoke because she ran at Prague. She had a huge positive split, but she ran a really good race. I think it was 226-something. Oh, wow. So, no names like that the pack of a whole bunch of American women who are really, really good are going to make for a great competition. And Jordan Essay confirmed also today she is going to Chicago and she is making an attempt at Dina Castor's American record to 19.36 this fall. So we, we will see what kind of shape Jordan is in. This is much like your assault on James Brooks' record at Paris Mountain oh, in the trail no. race. I, I would say these are equally hyped events. Hopefully for Jordan, her race turns out as well as yours did. Okay, so we've got breaking two, part two. We've got two guys breaking 203, and we have maybe breaking six in California last weekend. The Hoka Project Carbon X. This was a bunch of fun. Live streamed on YouTube. Hoka put together an event starting in Folsom, California, near the start line of the California International Marathon. Used uh, the American River Trail System, which runs parallel to the CIM course, down into Sacramento. And then emerged onto a multiple loop course in an attempt to break the 100K world record as they unveiled their new shoe, the Carbon X. As an aside, had the Carbon X on my foot earlier this week. That's going to be available soon. That's exciting. That is the breakthrough. Everybody's using this carbon fiber technology. Hoka, of course, sandwiching that in their high cushion mold. One of the distinguishing factors in this shoe versus the Vaporfly 4% that Nike has is the carbon fiber plate is going all the way to the toe. It's a little bit heavier. It's maybe more something that has a little bit of durability and could be not just a racing shoe, but maybe a tempo run, long run kind of shoe and seemed suited to these guys in their ultra marathon pursuit. 
The 100K world record didn't happen, but along the way, your friend, Jim Walmsley, set a new 50-mile world record of 4.50.08. That 50-mile number, uh, where's that come from? That's a long-standing record. It comes from 1984 uh, by a Mr. Barney Klecker. All right. Whose son, Joe, runs for the University of Colorado and he placed second at the NCAA Indoor Championships in the 5K this winter. Yes, for the friends of the show and the people who really stay in tune with the collegiate track scene, Joe Klecker is a name you know, the barrel-chested buffalo yes. who has had a fantastic career. After setting the record, Walmsley then finished third in the 100K when he shut it down and just jogged his way in because of the surging that he did to expend himself to get through the 50-mile record. In part, that comes from the first three hours of this race being led by another Hoka athlete, Tyler Andrews, in his debut at this distance, cruised through some 540 to 550 miles. But when Walmsley dialed up the pace to catch him, and simultaneously the temps rise, it ultimately cost him a shot at the 100K mark. He did have to finish the race, so he had an extra 12 miles after he broke the 50-mile record that he had to finish, or the record would not get certified because you must finish the race you're in for an interim split to count as a world record. He couldn't drop out at that point. So it turned into kind of a walk-jog, a meet-the-people, taking selfies, high-fives, And although he didn't break the 100K record, it might have been the second best outcome for Hoka because he got to spend time with fans. The interaction was fantastic. And in what was certainly just an eight-hour marketing opportunity for them running this thing all day, talking about their product, he's looking like a guy of the people. It was fun. I think people around him had fun. Even though 100K record doesn't fall, a 50-mile record does. And so we asked Benji, what does this mean for Walmsley's legacy? Place him among current distance runners. We know you're a fan. Step back from that for a minute. Who is Jim Walmsley, the distance runner in today's world? I'm not sure this means a whole lot. Okay. It might solidify that he's the best guy in the United States right now for the distance of 50K to 100K. He's proven he's a grinder. He's got wheels based on his half marathon. He just averaged 548 a mile for 50 miles. But Mm. it doesn't make him this ultra great ultra runner that he's been so hyped up by fans in the community to be. Yes, he's won Western and set the course record, but that's a net downhill 100-mile race that's smooth and runnable. and Oh, I don't, I don't know if we want to go to smooth. I get the surface I being mean, smooth. But compared some, to other areas yes, and there are other some ultras. Significantly challenging climbs in 100-plus degree temperatures that he went through to get there. Right, and I'm just we don't, referring to the path when I say smooth. We don't want to make it sound easy yes. to everybody out there. But it's not Hard Rock yeah. or Leadville or UTMB. And I think he needs to go and prove himself on courses like that if that's what he's trying to be the greatest ultra runner in the world if he's trying to be this 50k to 60k monster or 100k monster let's go throw him at comrades and Mm. let's see how he does at the marathon trials and i think 
he can be really good at that, or he could be really good at the other, but I don't think this means a whole lot for either of those things. It just proves that Jim is really good. <laughs> what you said, it solidifies what we already knew about him. It was probably a bigger day for Hoka as a brand than it was for Jim Walmsley as a runner. Right. And what came out of this. It gave him bar bragging rights, honestly. Now, it does also, again, go back to solidify his versatility as a 104 half marathoner up through a 50-mile world record holder. I love the comrades idea. I hadn't thought of that, but that would be fun. You know, Salazar, at the end of his career, took that jump and went and ran comrades. Yeah. and One comrade. Yeah. So that would be really interesting. During the broadcast, one of the co-founders from letsrun.com, made a comment that on that day, in that place, he thought Walmsley would beat Elliot Kipchoge in that race. Wow. 50 miles is way beyond what Kipchoge's training for, and I don't think it's even a fair comparison. I do think it validates to some degree that ultra runners aren't necessarily just really good marathoners who keep running farther. It's a different sport. Yeah, it translates differently. For everybody out there who's jumped from the half marathon to the marathon, you understand it's a different sport. It's a different beast. And some guys are going to be better in the ultra world than they were at marathoning. Generally, having speed translates, though. We're limited. You know, If you were a four-hour marathoner, you're not going out and breaking the 50-mile world record. Right. So my thought then became, what if we did a Walmsley-Kipchoge, let's meet in the middle somewhere duel? I bet Jim would say, like, let's go run the canyon. Let's go, you oh, know. Yeah. But, but that's not really what I'm thinking. Maybe it's like 40 miles. That was the number I had in my head. Okay. Yeah. Where would we do this? I think I think we would want to do it on the road. Right. But not on a pancake flat course so that we kind of play into both their strengths. Do we bring them to the Swamp Rabbit Trail? Oh do a little gosh. out and back action. <laughs> TR through Greenville. I guess you'd be approaching Malden at that point. Yeah. Turn around and you're coming uphill so you really find oh they wouldn't want, know what hit him right there by Furman oh my gosh <laughs> you know I, I don't necessarily have a course in mind but even if you laid this out on next year's Olympic trials course in Atlanta that's mm-hmm. going to have some decent rolling change of elevation and it was just more loops we just kept going and those guys had to duel at 40 we're never going to see it. Right. I assume we're never going to see it. But this is the fun of the sport that we can sit here and postulate on what it would look like. Because it'd be really neat for all of us who love these guys and, and love distance running to see. It goes back to some of the argument we had a year ago about dream matchups of taking that miler and that 800 guy and let's meet at a K and see who wins. Mm-hmm. This is that dream scenario in the ultra world meets the road racing world. Do you agree with that comment that Kipchoge would have lost to him that day in that I, event? I think I do, actually. Wow. After I watched it, I was before work and then during work. We, we had it on all day. The climate factor, because it, it started out very nice early on and got hot. It got real hot. Yeah. And I only say that because it's not as if Kipchoge is not used to running in heat. But the impact that has on the nutrition, I think, would be significant. Because he is not used to being out running regardless of how far or how hard for five or six hours so i think that he would want some practice in fine-tuning his nutritional approach to be able to do that appropriately 
all the indicators say, well, heck, Kipchoge could run 540 miles all day because it's it's a minute slower than what's he running for marathon pace, right? But he would need practice. And so I agree with the statement that, yeah, if he showed up that day and having not run something like that, okay, that might make sense. You're playing into somebody else's strength. And so it's it's perhaps a little unfair to even suggest, but I just thought it was an interesting statement because someone who's very much not attached with the ultra world from a media outlet that criticizes often the ultra world to come and say, at least I'm admitting what we're seeing here is a legitimate display of distance prowess. We had other stuff that happened in the past two weeks and we just don't even have time to to get into it because we got lost in the sauce there. <laughs> that was That was fun. Before we go, Again, we'll have J.D. Shaw coming up next time, which means we got intro music coming up soon, courtesy of our man J.D. You heard it right there. That might be the intro song. (laughs) Also, I want to shout some friends of the show here. First, our man Dustin, loyal listener out of Huntsville, Alabama. He is on his 365-day fitness challenge. We just got the update. He is through day 100. Saw a picture of this guy in the gym. Oh, yeah? He got that membership. He looks shredded. He is fit. He is working his butt off. Good to him. He is, I think, on his, we might call it Hoka Project 365. He is a Hoka runner as well. And also, our girl Kara from Brooks. Relay at the Big Sur Marathon a couple weeks ago and sporting the seconds flat singlet. She said it is a bucket list opportunity out there, so we encourage all the listeners to get to the West Coast and embrace the beauty at the Big Sur Marathon. And actually, one of the guys at the Hoka Project Carbon X was Michael Wardian, right? Yes. Who was coming off having done Boston to Big Sur. So he raced Boston. Two weeks later, raced Big Sur, turned around, went for an age group world record at the 100K at the Hoka event, which he fell short of. And in between, he went on a light taper and said it was miserable. He felt terrible because he was used to doing more than what he had just done there. That is it for Mile 30. We'll wrap it there. We will see you again next time. Everybody have a great week. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts for the show, as always, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.